0: Hi, I'm Pim from Metal TV, and you're listening to the Tomorrow with Robio podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tomorrow with Robio podcast. I'm your host, Ben Madison. Today, I'm recording this intro sequence uh, from the brand new (laughs) work in progress Robio Montreal offices. So for the first time in frankly, a couple of years, um, I'm out from my home office into the real world, interacting and working with real people again, and it feels fantastic. So in the coming months, you'll probably be seeing me doing some uh, additional recordings from this space, and maybe one day interviewing some of the people from this space. But for now, uh, I want to talk about our guest today and what what our subject of conversation is. And I, I thought I wanted to open with a confession in case wasn't entirely clear to all of you Uh, I am a lifelong gaming nerd I always have been and I'm proud of it I've been playing games since I was a kid spent probably thousands and thousands and thousands of hours in various online persistent world multiplayer games whether they be competitive shooters or brawlers or MMOs And many of my favorite memories uh, from time spent with friends took place inside these digital worlds. Um, Now, when I had those memories with other people, then we had a conversation point that we could share out of game. We could go for a drink or we could meet on the schoolyard and we could talk about, hey, remember that really awesome thing that happened that was so cool. But sometimes I'm playing with people I don't know or I'm playing alone. And when cool things happen there, I want to share those experiences with people, but they're not shared memories, right? They weren't there, they didn't live it. So I need to find a way to sort of help them picture what happened and why it was so cool and why it was so meaningful to me. And pandemic has clearly put more and more people into this position where there's a growing number of people who spend Growing amount of time online and in these virtual worlds. And uh, as our guest today says so eloquently, their camera role, their camera role because of their real life, is probably getting smaller and smaller. And they're looking for ways to sort of capture these memories of these online experiences and the need to sort of capture and share these memories of these online experiences getting larger and larger. Uh, Pim DeWitt, the CEO of Metal, is my guest today. And Metal is a tool that seeks to solve exactly that problem. How can you very quickly capture and share memories, uh, events, things that took place inside these gaming experiences that are becoming increasingly important in the lives of a larger number of people? and share them with friends who may or may not have been there and sort of archive those in the same way that we archive real life memories in our camera roll, you know, when we take a photo or we we film an event. And uh, when I started, you know, paying attention to metal a year or so ago, I started to see more and more instances of these clips being shared inside the social networks and the feeds that matter to me you know twitter and and, and linkedin etc i saw more and more sort of mentions of metal and these clips being shared and uh, so it caught my attention as someone that i thought would be interesting to speak to and sort of understand what pim's thought process are what his team's thoughts are about how the act of clipping and sharing is going to increasingly become a, a kind of critical component in our digital selves as we increasingly spend time in digital worlds, whether they be gaming or other, today and in the future. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation uh, with Pim DeWitt, CEO of uh, Metal. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Pim, nice to talk to you again. Thanks for agreeing to do this. It's been fun chatting with you uh, online. Uh, we, we had a quick chat a couple of weeks ago to sort of prepare for this. I usually open this the same way with everyone. So it's an opportunity just for you to sort of introduce yourself, talk a little bit about maybe what you did before founding Metal and sort of how that led into Metal, which is probably what we'll spend most of the episode talking about.
0: Perfect. Um, So my name is Pim uh, DeWitt. I'm uh, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Metal.tv. Before founding Metal, I... I got into coding by uh, modding RuneScape when I was about 13 or 14 years old and started uh, somewhat accidentally uh, the largest private server on the planet for RuneScape. Um, by <laughs> by the time I was 18, yeah, it was a little bit of a hobby that got a bit out of control. Um, by the time I was 18, uh, my private server was doing roughly I don't know, a million and a half in annual revenue. We were employing a lot of people. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did that until I was about 19. Um, and, uh, after, uh, after doing, after running the, the private server for RuneScape, I decided that I was, wanted to take a little bit of a break from, from Mm -hmm. the games industry in general. And I decided, uh, that I wanted to... Focus primarily on like social impact work. Uh, okay. So I I actually spent two and a half years roughly working for Doctors Without Borders. Uh,
1: That's focusing, a big shift, RuneScape yeah. to Doctors Without Borders.
0: That's like yeah. full one eighty. Yeah. The the story there is um uh I, I I always really liked to go to hackathons and I had uh, went to hackathons before where Doctors Without Borders was there. And this was right around the time like we knew we were gonna have to shut our private server down. Um and this was right around the, the time of the Ebola outbreak. And okay. um the Ebola outbreak uh, was getting quite bad. Uh at the time this was um let's see, I think this was this was right be like right before there was the first case in the US of Ebola. Okay. Uh, where where there was some understanding that that outbreak was going to be pretty bad. So Dr. Suborders actually uh, called me a friend uh, named Ivan called me and said, Hey, we have a few of these problems. And I know that you specialize in some of these areas. Uh, part of that was like um, building uh, like local network infrastructure uh, because right. from, from private servers, you know, all our, all our stuff yes. ran on local networks. So, so, yes. uh, so they called me and asked, Hey, do you want to help? Um and my first answer, well, sure, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I ended up wow. kind of loving it so much that I stayed there for two and a half years, uh, working on all sorts of things. So I started working on a project called Project Bondia, which is a locally deployed medical record system for Ebola specifically. Okay. It was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, and then uh, we worked with Google on that project. It was, uh, it was a tablet with a, what's called a polycarbonate casing, which we could, you could dip in, uh, 0.5% chlorine solution to dis- disinfect it right. from viruses. Because the problem was that doctors were basically taking paper notes into the treatment centers. Of course. And they and were shouting, yeah. they were shouting patient details over the fence. And then, um, and then somebody on the other side of the fence would have to write it down. So it was extremely inefficient. Uh, so we wanted to build a system that made that more streamlined. Um, Spent probably six months on that, and then um, the team at Dr. Suborders asked me to uh, build and lead a project for um, for for mapping. Uh, okay. So uh, this is a uh, an app called MapSwipe. This is still live. There's um, oh yeah, this, I, that's this, right. I saw it in your LinkedIn. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it's currently being led by a Heidelberg university and the missing maps project. So what this does is it basically takes in, um, satellite imagery and it, it allows people to, uh, tell, um, a model whether they're, whether within that imagery, it can find like human made roads or houses or. Right. Right. any sort of indication that there's um, a mapping interest there uh, so that instead of uh, people who actually make these maps sort of scout through satellite imagery and they, they spend 90% of their time looking at trees uh, and fields um, this kind of does a lot of the work for them uh, by 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 separating the tasks so you have the the, the, the crowdsource plus ml, um, is there something here? And then you have the mappers that then go in afterwards and they go and actually draw the lines. And then you can, um becomes very interesting because when there's disaster that hits, for example, you can use these types of uh, algorithms and also uh, crowdsourcing for doing things like population estimates because maps are actually quite outdated usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes disaster response more accurate. So I did that hmm. for two and a half years. Uh, very, very different uh, from ga- from gaming indeed. Uh, I uh, decided after two and a half years that um, after MapSwipe became uh, quite successful, uh, that it was time for me, instead of doing another project, to uh, go back to uh, gaming um, because it's something that I'm I'm really good and passionate at. Um, So I uh, worked with my uh, my team from, from the private server to start a game studio. And the game studio was called Ferox Games. We started working on a game called Get Wrecked. It was a two okay. versus two brawler on mobile with dual joysticks okay. uh, before before people thought dual joysticks were cool. Um, and we could work mo- on mobile. <laughs> we we mostly got laughed out of the room for trying to make dual joysticks work and uh, ended up uh, with no funding, <laughs> <laughs> largely because of that feedback. Uh, and uh, we... um. Uh, After that, we decided, okay, we're going to self-fund everything. So we self-funded the game studio. We actually got the game out. And then how we kind of got into metal was that we had no money left for marketing. So we needed to figure out some way to get people to play our game without going up against Supercell and that's right. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, afford user acquisition, so you needed no. 100% organic. <laughs> right. Like our game at Skill Ladder. So you yep. needed a certain level of player liquidity. Yep. You also needed a certain level of um, time distribution, like player liquidity at all time. So our estimate was like, in order to actually get a good idea of retention, we probably need like 10,000-ish new users per day. Yeah. Um, we nuts. built the entire game on a budget of 150k, and we were out of funding, so we burned through that. And at the CPI prices back then, we would have burned through that in like three days. So, yeah. uh, and that's that's with no game. Uh, so, uh, so it wasn't really sustainable for us. Um, we also didn't necessarily think that building games was compared to building platforms. I think building platforms was like more of a passion for us than building games uh, okay and so uh we wanted to build a game i think the game was a good for a prototype i don't think it would have made it into like a large you know post right like the, the world that in the competition that we that we were facing frankly but the game design and the the mechanics were quite good and so we built metal as a user acquisition strategy for metal. We thought, okay, we're going to show clips from these different places on the internet. And people love clips. There's no place to watch these clips. Uh, Reddit isn't really the right format because it's like mixed in with text posts. TikTok wasn't around. um, And so we started by just pulling in clips from all sorts of different places. uh, And uh, our idea was at a certain time, of the day, we would send everyone notifications saying, hey, check out our new game. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and and this is kind of how the, the Metal concept started. We then realized that a lot more people were interested in the Clips. platform <laughs> concept than, than in the actual game itself. And so we very quickly um, killed off the game and and, and really started working on... Uh, on the platform, we have an internal joke that one of the benefits of working at metal is that you get to play our game uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so it 's only available to employees um, and uh, yeah but i don 't know how long that will be true for well I'm, um, we'll
1: have to we 'll have to go digging <laughs> we 'll have to see if we can find some clips of the game somewhere it, in metal there, there
0: are there are All right, yes. well there we go you 've given uh, me a treasure
1: uh, hunt there are it makes. It makes me think of two things, Uh, uh, just a little anecdotally. First of all, it's funny how influential RuneScape was um, to so many people. A a couple of months ago, I was talking with Pierce Kicks, uh, Mm -hmm. who uh, works for BitCraft Ventures, and he's like deep, deep into sort of Web3 and crypto stuff and a real sort of thought leader there. And he was sort of drawing a very clear connection between his time— you know, doing gold farming on RuneCraft and private servers and all of his sort of RuneCraft taught days and how easy it was for him to just sort of slide into the world of crypto. And now you're talking about how sort of the building and the running of a RuneCraft private server was so sort of instrumental in allowing you to kind of slide into sort of infrastructure and platform and community stuff. So, man i I, I, kind, I never actually played runescape. My MMO days predated that a little bit more. Ultima Online Dark Age of Camelot kind of thing, but I feel like I missed something pretty pretty important.
0: yeah um so Pierce actually played my private surper uh, ah. which is which is which is pretty funny um, small world. that's how we we ended up reconnecting actually uh, a few <laughs> years ago. yeah that's um, super cool so yeah, so it was this... The interesting thing about Rinscape is it, it had this whole economy concept that really was at the center of the game. Like no other game ever been created. Um, the entire game revolved around the economy and the economy was, if you took the economy out, there was no game. And I just, I just don't think that there's any game that's ever been created that was quite the same. Mm, um, interesting. So yeah, I mean, we'll go into that, those, those things another yeah. time, but it was yeah. definitely like a picture of, uh, of the internet that I think ever since has not been recreated. Uh, I'm I, taking a yeah. note
1: here, I need to get some of the original developers of RuneScape on this podcast and try and figure out what they're doing next. A-
0: Andrew Gower is actually building a game engine and a game at the moment, so yes, oh, well, you, there should we go. De- okay. you should definitely look him up, <laughs> he would, I'm sure he would love he would to. Fit right yeah. in. Yep. Um, um, okay,
1: so t- just really briefly, like we will go deep, deep, deep into Metal, but you 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 spoke briefly about it. It's a platform. It allows clipping. Can you can you talk a little bit more about what it is at a super high level before we start diving into some of the interesting things that I think it's unlocking?
0: Yep. Yeah, so when we when I mentioned that we um, pivoted into Metal to kind of get our game going, um, so what I didn't mention is our first version of our app. Uh, it, it didn't really uh, keep people engaged very much. Um, when we started talking to our users and we started figuring out like, okay, why aren't you posting more often, um, we realized that most of them really just didn't have a reliable way to record. Okay. And then we started looking into the flows. And what we learned was that all the recorders were really built for two things. First off, they were built for long form video. And then mm-hmm. second, they were built to be imported into other editing software. It was very much like the professional YouTube slash Twitch yep. creator use case. And the truth was that I think we realized that most people just wanted to share quick moments with their friends. They didn't want to yep. have to edit everything. They didn't want to have to import it into other editing software. Most of them didn't really have the money to pay for editing software. So you end up with this big janky watermark. Yep. Um, I didn't want that either. Um, And then the amount of steps to get from actual clipping to sharing was like... First you have to remember to start recording before a game which eliminates yep. 90% of people. Then do uh, something cool. <laughs> then do something cool. Uh and and and, and the th- I mean fundamentally when you're recording you're trying to do something cool. I actually think it makes you a worse player at the game. So right. it it kind of like the whole mindset of that shifts how you enjoy your game. Whereas with, with like what we do, that's not true, but we'll get, we'll get into that a little bit later. But so what we realized is that all these tools were built for long form. Um, getting short form content out of games was really, really hard. And so we started by giving people a super simple way to capture 720p clips on the CPU. This wasn't even on the GPU. The reason why we went for CPU was because everyone has a CPU. That's um, right, yeah. And so it was not very optimized for higher quality content. It was just very, very simple. Record seven up to 720p. Uh, why 720p? Because it's easily shareable, easily digestible on a mobile device, and um, it uploads really quickly. Yeah. So that was the beginning of Metal. It wasn't some crazy thing technologically that we did. We just listened to our users, we realized some of the problems they had, um, and hmm. we started building. And from there on, you know, we innovated to be able to support, like, really efficient high-end capture and things like that, because people do want those things, but they just want, by default, they want to be able to quickly share them. Cool. So what we see that being used for today kind of gets into what Metal is, is that has evolved into a seamless way to create and share memories with your friends while you're physically apart. Um, okay. So we've brought the barrier down to so low that people can just forget about the fact that they're even running recording software, clip things, tag their friends, um, upload things really quickly, make a small edit if you need to, and, um, and use them as you know really a means of connecting with their friends. Um, and I think that's kind of the, the, what that road has led to.
1: Okay, interesting. And so you said a couple of things there that strike me, given the sort of whatever, the modern state of the world, right? So in particular, this while you're while you're apart line, right? The phrase, you know, while you're physically apart. So is there is there something about the last few years, like COVID or just society in general, or the way that we're interacting online? Is there something you think that's shifted that has made uh, you know, whatever, sharing clips, kind of right place, right time. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, why has the moment come where suddenly this is so explosive and done so yeah. often as opposed to five years ago?
0: So, so if you think about how we build friendships, um, mm-hmm. a lot of friendships are built because we, we share experiences. Yes. Um, most, of the to- most of the time, that's in real life. hmm that's where you experience intense moments, build trust with people. What COVID did is they forced us to shift those relationship building skills sort of online because okay. we're social people, right? Like we, we want to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And so what COVID did is it, it gave us this sense of, Hey, maybe actually connecting with people just over the internet isn't that weird. Um, mm-hmm. and I think before that, that was considered as something that was secondary to your primary social connections, which were your real life friends. And what COVID did is it completely blended those two cohorts of friends. Um, And so then the second thing is when you think about the ways that you can interact with people over the internet, there's a few things that you can do, right? You can jump on a meeting, you can talk, you can probably play a few games in Zoom, like, you know, memory or or, or, whatever. You know, or, you or can, something, or, or like, yeah, or you can play some solitaire, or you can load up an entire virtual world that has endless social uh, possibilities, and uh, jump in with your friends into any crazy adventure that you can imagine. Whether it's a battle royale game, or um, whether it's like Rocket League, where it's like car soccer, right? So, so, so the two, two, those two things combined. Kind of led to over the pandemic games just becoming how people connect mm-hmm. and then what i think happened is for a lot of people those two years really they don't have a lot of photos of themselves mm-hmm. or, or friends and so interesting um, and so for an entire generation uh their metal clips are how they remember those times right um
1: i had not thought of that
0: yeah, I was, uh, this is very sad, but I was recently speaking to a mom who, uh, who lost someone, uh, very close to her, uh, to COVID, her son actually. Um, and, uh, uh his last two years, because of COVID, it was just games and friends with games. And like the whole last two years of his life are captured in clips, not huh. in physical not photos, in photos but... on
1: his phone out in the world. No, wow. no,
0: which is wow. like, it's this, it's this digital gap that really, Exists for people who extract social value from interactive experiences, and I think that cohort is just growing. And, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and that and that is uh, really our mission uh, to 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 let people share those memories.
1: Oh, that's that's really. Uh, my head is still spinning. Um, okay, so um, trying to for people who haven't used metal, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a bad job of it, but I'm gonna try to explain it really quickly. Um, you know, it's always running in the background, it's going to capture whatever your gaming moments are, you don't have to pre-record, you can do something awesome, and then have the confidence that it was captured, uh, and it's in the cloud, and it's easily, you know, shareable and whatnot. But then there's also features that you can, if you choose to, layer on top of that, such as communal voice chat that can be layered on top of the game, uh, and then various other things like effects and text and, like, you know, like whatever. Like there's other stuff that you can enable people to do light, and I would imagine perhaps in certain cases deeper editing of those clips. Um, can you talk at all about, like, what, was there one feature that really like, blew up in terms of user engagement? Like, did voice make a big difference? Did stickers make a big difference? Like, was there something that on top of the capturing and the sharing of clips really made a big difference in terms of how people thought about it and, and, and used it?
0: Yeah, I would say that voice and audio and music are probably the largest drivers of additional engagement on the videos. Okay. But the truth is that these moments, they mean completely different things to every individual. Uh, there, there is, uh, one individual who really wants to edit how they, how they appear in the clips and add all sorts of effects. And then there's others who just only want to, like, the, include them. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, yeah. And then there's people who, who, like, this is actually a fascinating use case. Um, There are some people who have like auto uploads on and they literally use clips as just a means of like what I call contextual communication, which is a way of sharing what's happening without actually saying anything. So, um, so they can, uh, uh, be in a party on Roblox or, and and instead of like talking to their friends about it, they just like upload a metal clip, say, come join and their friends join. Right. Hmm. So, so it's this, uh, uh, everyone, so so our, our mission is to uh, sort of increase the range of ways you can share and then let people make their own story. Uh, and, and I think editing, is, editing and, and audio are two of the biggest drivers because people love just like entertaining people while they're watching and music is mm. the perfect way to do that, for example. But the range of things that people do on clips are very wide. Mm. Cool. Yeah. I think I have a...
1: Let's dive into that in just a couple of questions. I think I have, I think I ask explicitly about some of those edge cases. But um, when we were first talking about this a few weeks ago, you were making a really interesting sort of differentiation between the sort of performance piece of like YouTube or Twitch or something like that, and the way that your communities or your micro communities are sharing moments between themselves with metal. Mm Um, and you had a really, I thought, a really sort of insightful way of kind of talking about why you think the, the 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 micro communities are are almost a bigger opportunity than the performance pieces. Can you share a little bit more about about that?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so um, so if you think about sharing, there's really. Engagement is really moving to private groups, right? There, there's a whole number of trends in society that are driving it: what, uh, privacy, right, being extremely self-aware about what you post online, um, and so uh, most people are are shifting a lot of their social behaviors into Discord groups, I'm, uh, yep. Discord servers, iMessage, you know, yep. uh, groups, WhatsApp, um, and so uh, you know, we acquired a company a few years ago called Mega Cool, and they've released this. Um, uh, this document every year that goes into where do things actually get shared, and hmm. I think over eighty percent of uh, of clips are actually shared into private channels, and mm-hmm. uh, they're not shared on Facebook or they're not shared on on Instagram. They're shared in like DMs, and um, and so the uh, the big opportunity we see is really in in those use cases, in in helping people connect more privately. Um, and then there is, you know, a content piece to metal because it's, a gr- it's, it's like the lowest friction way to engage the community. Um, but in the end, our mission is very much on connecting you more privately. Okay. Mm, that's really interesting. And, and how much sharing happens behind
1: the wall, yeah. right, that we don't see is, is of course— Super interesting, and yeah. I think a lot of us just assume that there is a lot of sharing that's going on there. It's really interesting that you guys can actually see it and have yeah. actually been able to measure it. Um, so, uh, I think we're now going to get into that question about some of those sort of whatever, like maybe alternate use cases, and and the way I look at it is like TikTok, right? So, like TikTok originally started as like music lip and, you know, like, whatever, you're going to do your song and dance. And then it's evolved into the everything platform. I mean, it's life hacks, it's cooking recipes, it's imitations, it's humor, it's, you know, whatever, it's everything, right? And um, I'm wondering, have you and your team, what are some of those surprise moments that you guys have come across where people Are like is there is there like a just chatting like is there some sort of like 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 channel or use case inside of Metal where you're finding people are using this in ways you weren't expecting um, that kind of shifted your perspective on on sort of what exactly the platform is.
0: So um, the the interesting ways that people use Metal is the most surprising to me was the contextual communication piece, which is. Mm -hmm. Uh, there is a movie called Ready Player One in which Spielberg kind of envisions people like beaming these visual moments to each other without saying anything, and I think, um, and also without having to capture anything, right? Because you're in a virtual world, so everything okay. is captured and generated by default. Yeah. And so you can literally, you know, without you can literally go 15 seconds back in time and 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 and, and replay that and put. So you don't you don't need to actually miss the moments in order to capture it. And so this way of communicating, I think, is going to be very, very interesting. And We're kind of seeing this on Metal today. Um, cool. Even though there's a lot of barriers to it. And then the second thing that's interesting is that there's this concept of a Metal moment, um, which is uh, primarily the Valorant community uses this a lot, which is something really unexpected that you would have otherwise never captured. Um, And so there's this, Minecraft clip on metal, for example, where someone is digging in a very specific, like, X, Y coordinate. And then exactly at that same coordinate, there is, like, um, a, a, a slender man, I think it's called, mm-hmm. um, that falls back, falls down, uh, because that NPC was the exact same coordinates on the map and kills the player that's digging. So it's like very, very low odds, um, events. Uh, they won the that. gaming lottery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so the metal moments, the, the things that like that really drive the metal DNA, the, the unique parts of what drives our content is really the things that you would have otherwise never captured. Uh, hmm. Which, uh, yeah, which which is what we're kind of known for. That's
1: cool. Yeah, like very sort of circumstantial, serendipitous moments. You weren't planning them. You weren't expecting them. They mm-hmm. happened. Prior to metal, you're sitting there saying, oh, my God, I wish I was capturing. I wish I was capturing. Nobody's ever going to believe me. Now, of course, everything can be captured all Mm -hmm. the time. Okay. That's super cool. Um, Now, you've talked a little bit about um, sort of whatever friends and and friends lists and micro communities. I use metal, and so I'm relatively aware of of sort of some of the inner workings of it. Uh, and and obviously the the friends list right who you are friends with inside of metal metals I guess you could call it like social graph uh, is is a big opportunity right the social graph of metal is a big opportunity and I'm sure it says something really interesting in addition to the clips themselves can you talk at all about that like what does social graph plus clip sharing do that's somehow more powerful than just whatever clip sharing via you know text message or whatsapp or some sort of Mm one-to-one kind of you know communication protocol
0: yep so the real gap that we see is in making people that connect over games even more connected so there are a lot of tools that we use to get more connected around real life Um, it's it's very much ingrained into culture that mm-hmm. uh, you do things together, and I think mm-hmm. with games, it's it's still far more sporadic. There's 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 a lot of people that that sort of game regularly, but every like but the the mission of metal is really to make the relationships deeper with the people that you game with, and mm-hmm. so um so what we do is, for example. Uh, are what we call social graph. It's primarily built on the people you tag because those okay. are your closest friends. Yep. Um. And so our our sort of social mission for the product is by then making sharing more meaningful because, um, we know that you're doing it with your close friends and uh and then also things like you know letting you know when your close friends are playing, right? Uh. And and sort of bringing those like tightly connected groups of people together to. Um, game together more frequently and have more fun uh, is, is what we're focused on. So um, so in terms of social graph, it's very much focused, yes, on your close friends. Uh, I, I like to say it's focused on your four closest friends or your best friends, um, because it kind of clearly differentiated from every other social product, right? Um, right most right. products are built for, you know, 100 ish yeah. friends right yeah Whereas and the friends of the, the, the friends of the friends of the friends kind of exactly yeah yep. the nice thing is about the interesting things about games is that you don't actually need to design the product to do what we call like adjacent friend discovery uh mm-hmm. where you have to discover friends of friends like this is what discord's so good at right it's like you jump in a discord server you discover friends of friends um but within games games actually do that for you because you never have all your friends to play the same game you, you always play with like a few people plus a few with their friends right mm-hmm. so um so yeah so we we are hyper focused on just connecting you to your four closest friends and then um and then letting letting really the games do the rest of the work cool
1: okay yeah and i mean obviously i you know of course a close friend playing game x is going to be you know probably the single most powerful recommendation engine out there right if i continuously get clips of game x from my closest friend that's a strong motivator for me to give it a to yep. give it a try particularly because if i'm not playing it then i'm not necessarily participating in those metal moments with him yep. or her right
0: uh, as a as a as a show there what's interesting is uh so when i do uh talks at conferences when they're around i always ask the room how many of you discovered your last game through clips or yeah. or how many of you were motivated to play your last game because you saw clips? And roughly 80% of people usually raise their hand. And I oh. think the interesting th- and why? Because clips are everywhere, right? They're on social media, they're on Twitter, TikTok, Reddit, right? But they're but none of them actually drive the conversion, but they hi- they they cuz like people don't click to play games from clips, right? They, mm-hmm. but they heavily influence them, right? Because it's it's the meta, it's what people are talking about. And so um and so this is kind of like the opportunity, right? Like the yes, I think friends drive a lot of the game discovery. Um yes, I believe that by focusing on your close friends, uh eventually that means um, you know, uh kind of moving away from uh, the huge marketing spend on game launches and having a hard time breaking through because you can kind of grow your game through the small communities on Metal that just really enjoy it. And then Metal becomes really good at getting more players for you, (laughs) right? So long-term, yeah, we we kind of see that exact opportunity as like a way for game developers to eventually break free from like having to spend large amounts of money just to get get their game out there. Um, Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I, I actually I have a question
1: a, a little bit later on in the doc on that, but maybe, uh, maybe we can jump right to it. So are, are there dev teams today who are making Metal like a strategic part of their development or a strategic part of their community? Like they're, they're changing the way they build their game or they're changing the way they do community development or possibly mm-hmm. marketing because of Metal?
0: Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's because of metal. I would say it's like, because of like short form as a whole. Um, it's also TikTok. Like it's, it's short, basically short form video and, and making games more shareable. It's just a huge focus of game design in general. We, we work with studios. Uh, we, I don't know if we also just announced a big integration with Xbox to enable this for all of Xbox's ecosystem, for example, uh, but I think, uh, just more generally speaking, um, people are designing more shareable game loops to generate more clips, uh, yep. because you know clips are a large part of organic organic growth of the game. So uh, I wouldn't say they're just designing for metal. I would say they're they're designing for for short form the short form space as a whole. That's cool. Uh, I,
1: I wasn't yeah. aware about the Microsoft announcement. That's awesome. When did that happen? Congratulations. That's really uh, huge. I,
0: Ooh, probably three months ago, yeah. So, oh, geez, uh, yep, didn't do my homework. Yeah. I missed something. <laughs> it's all good. No worries.
1: Um, uh, y- you mentioned this. I-, I thought it was a very sort of memorable quote, so I wrote it down here as a question, and then I'll bring it up again. You can decide whether it's it's worth diving into. Uh, at some point in time in the, the history of metal, you guys had a bit of a pivot point or you had the potential to go, kind of go one way or another and you sort of decided to bet on creators and you, you think that betting on creators was, well, it's, it's bearing fruit and it was the right call for you guys as, 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 a, as, a, as a platform. Can you expand on that and explain a little bit more what you mean by betting on creators and why you think that was the right play for you?
0: Yeah. So if you look at our space, uh, Clips in particular, and and companies that have been funded in our space, it's quite a graveyard, right? There's a lot of companies that have came before us that tried to do what we do. And uh, frankly, they, they didn't make it. And the biggest learning that I had from that was that through trying to create sort of this social media platform for gamers it became unclear to gamers what the actual selling point of the platform was because it wasn't necessarily clear why they would use that over another social media platform. And so we very early on kind of found ourselves stuck in this place of, are we trying to both build this amazing thing for, uh, for people to create and share these clips and then, are we also trying to build a great viewership product where we had like another whole large competition on the other side, right? So, so we were kind of fighting two battles, and you know, on the one side you had YouTube, and then increasingly TikTok and Reddit, and on the other hand you got like ShadowPlay and OBS, and uh, and there were some great tools that were just incrementally getting better, and so at some point uh, we decided. That the bet that we were going to make was that we could get sharing down to being so easy, the barrier to enter being so low, that the, the volume of people sharing, that working extremely well, would eventually be strong enough of, strong enough of a growth driver to built that initial social, like, viewership engagement community. Right. And so instead of trying to build both for viewers and creators, we focus 100% of our efforts on sharing, which is uh, a bet that really, really paid off for us, right? So Metal now, um, I mean, this is public. We have over a million creators that cur- that currently use it, uh, that that create content with it. And what that's done is it has brought those creators not only together... Outside Metal, because I have a better way to create content, but also on Metal because they're responding to each other's content, they're sharing with Metal links, right? It's kind of become this accepted thing because it's a high-quality mm-hmm. share link. And so, yeah, so that bet on creator, bet on lowering the barrier to entry as like a means of building the network as opposed to trying to brute force the network early on uh, and just trusting that process for years, right? This was like a two-year process is, I think, the biggest bet in our history that has led to our success today. Hmm. Um, Yeah, I think
1: I think that's great
0: because I think, well, it's something I talk
1: about. I would say relatively frequently on this podcast, and certainly something I will probably talk about quite a lot more in this year is the concept of the creator, user-generated content, digital economy, creator ownership, like all of those sorts of intertwined things. And and it's it's obviously a big space, and it's something where I mean, there's clearly a lot of people who kind of are forced with that sort of chicken and the egg question, right? Of like, okay, well, we don't have a network. So our creators aren't creating a lot of stuff because they don't have a network. So do we build the network first? But if we build the network first, why are they there? You know, like I'm sure there's many people stuck in that loop, right? And the fact that you guys can Talk about how you broke free of that loop and met with a lot of success. Hopefully, will be inspirational to other people stuck in that chicken or the egg kind of quandary. Mm -hmm. And maybe some other people will say, "Hey, it worked for Metal. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to go all in on creators." And you know, we'll see what happens. But, anyways, I I think that's really neat. So, another thing that I uh, I hear a ton in my world, and, and I am guilty of repeating this myself on multiple occasions, uh, is the phrase, games are the next great social network, right? Um, and, and gaming is, you know, whatever, the evolution of the social network. Um, some variant of this line has been repeated, you know, a billion times in the last 18 months. You know, once COVID really became mm-hmm. a big thing, lots of people said, okay, you know, metaverse, whatever. Persistent online worlds, whatever you want to call it, you know, these are gonna be the social networks of the future. And so obviously, some companies are investing big in that space, right? The Robloxes, the rec rooms, the Zapetos, like they're literally trying to build a persistent virtual world game that's also a social, a social network in and of its own right. And yet you guys seem to be building more on this idea that the strongest social layer will will sit outside of any individual game that it's it's not one specific title that is your social network. it's the accumulation of all of the games that you play that is the social network is am i would you say that's fair? am I getting it right? Am I putting mm-hmm. words in your mouth or would you say that yeah. i i that's the right perception and so if that's the case, like Why do you think that's a better bet? Like, why didn't you want to build with everything that you learned about RuneScape and platforms and social graph and social sharing and like all of that sort of stuff? Why not build an MMO? Why not build another virtual online world and and take all of these lessons and learnings into that?
0: Yeah. So so, so I'll start with the first point you made, which is that like this term of social worlds being the next like social gaming being next social, I think. Yep. I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? If you think about it, if you're, if you could choose between scrolling a feed and doing something interactive and fun with your friends and creating memories, you would always pick the second one, right? Um, at least I think for a generation of people that grew up with that, that is true. I think for, uh, for people who didn't, I think that maybe feels so little foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, yes, I do think that this is kind of gaming as a whole, social gaming. Um, I do think over time will, uh, really take over social interaction on the internet. And I also just think that owning one piece of where people spend, I don't think that it's going to be one central piece where people spend their time. Like, Fair. look at how we spend our days, right? Um, everybody has different interests, different hobbies, yep. different personalities. And um, the same way now, there's websites for everything. Like, I think there will be experience like Virtual experiences for everything. There's people, there's people that are into like Roblox like games, people that are in like highly competitive games like Rocket League or League of Legends or Valorant, right? And 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 I think you'll never I don't think there will be a single platform that will really be great at all of those things. In fact, um I think you'll see highly interoperable independent experiences that end up just being collectively. Uh, who you are online as a person, and so, mm-hmm. um, and so, yes, I, I strongly believe. And also, for a lot of those games, by the way, the meta game is actually a lot more interesting than the game itself. Yeah. The community around it is so. So, I think a lot of the engagement around games actually happens in the meta game and not necessarily mm-hmm. in the game itself, especially socially. Right, like a lot of people prefer Discord voice chat and Discord communities over being in the actual game. Why? because you're already chatting with your friends about the game on Discord, right? And so it's much easier to jump on a quick Discord voice channel than it is to figure out how to use the in-game party chat. So mm-hmm. um, so yeah, and, and then also that warrants like being able to invest much bigger into that type of infrastructure because you have a lot more people using that instead of the in-game infrastructure. So yeah, yeah I think the metagame or the like... The, what I call the glue that like connects people outside of these individual experiences is interesting. But, but what I think is really interesting is like everybody will probably play multiple games, right? Like mm-hmm. I think most people, um, they have like one main game that's like one secondary game. Then they have yeah. one, like maybe a third that they only play because their friends play it and they'll, they'll go along with it. Like for me, that's Call of Duty. Like I, I am not a particularly. Great shooter, player. My friends love playing Call of Duty. I would never boot it up on my own, but if my friends are playing it, I'm in. Right. Your number Outer, one is Rocket League, right? Number one Rocket League. Yeah. And <laughs> then I also play old school RuneScape. Yeah. Nice. So um exactly. So so I think your identity and who you are really is it, it's never gonna be captured in one place. It's it's captured in your collection of things that you like, right? And so um and so how you connect people is based on that collection. It's not based on that one thing. All the relationships within individual games, a lot of them are very transactional, right? It's like around a certain trade or, or around a certain quest or around a certain NPC, right? And so those graphs actually end up being really diluted. And so what were for me, the interesting part is is how do you connect the people that are largely have interest in like the same games, right? Mm-hmm. That you can build really meaningful cl- like relationships with um, that aren't going to be around just one trade or just one raid or just one yep. boss, right? Cool. Um, and so this is why I think the meta game is more interesting, but that doesn't take away from the fact that like platforms like Roblox are, are, are doing great at solving that hangout piece, right? Yeah. Um, and then capturing it with metal, you know? Yep.
1: No, it's really cool. Yep it's it's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of an audible here. Like this wasn't a question I was planning on asking, and so if it doesn't if it doesn't sort of strike a chord with you, we we can scratch it from the edit. But I'm wondering, is there something about um, like people who define themselves? By gaming versus people for whom gaming is just a pastime, I would assume that the like the early adopters of metal were probably the quote unquote hardcore. They were probably the people who defined themselves by the games that they played and by the relationships that mm-hmm. they formed by the games that they played. Are you yeah. guys seeing anything like that? Sort of breaking that trend? Are you are you like seeing growth in the other areas? Like, can you imagine a world where I don't know, like cooking mama, hyper-casual gamers are suddenly metal clipping, or do you think you're really going to be... Is there something about the role that gaming plays in someone's life that makes them uh, more or less a metal user?
0: Yeah, so I think what makes you a hardcore metal user is actually that moment in time when your online presence becomes a core part of your identity as a person. Um, And I think especially with COVID that is becoming increasingly more true for a lot of people, um, yep. people who are, people who are into like ha- highly competitive games, they've known this for years, right? Yes. Like they've defined, you know, who they play with by MMR. Yeah, they didn't and, and need metal to tell them that they gaming was important exactly, to them. <laughs> exactly. You had like tracker network and, and things yeah. like that to kind of help you with that. But I think what metal is doing is it's kind of taking that same means of self-expression and skill into every place um, and and that and that is only growing, right? Um, as we spend more time in digital experiences, our sense of digital self and identity becomes more closely aligned with who we are Absolutely. and we start caring more about capturing and sharing.
1: Totally. Um, ah, yeah. man, great answer, man. That's a great answer. Okay, well, I mean, I've got one last question and then, you know, we can wrap up. Um, so I, I just want to talk a little bit about like my world right now is mobile. I mean, I, I worked in console. I play console games. I play PC games. But these days, I primarily play on mobile and I work entirely on mobile. And in general, I find that mobile is does not get the same love as PC on anything. It doesn't get the same love on YouTube. It doesn't get the same love on Twitch. It doesn't get the same love on Metal. It's, it's rare for a mobile title to kind of maintain any sort of significant streaming numbers on Twitch. I mean, there are, you know, Clash of Clans and, you know, Clash Royale do relatively well and that kind of thing. And, you know, Call of Duty Warzone mobile, like there are a few, there are a few exceptions, but by and large, mobile is not. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit of a sort of, you know, whatever, second tier when it comes to this kind of idea of sharing our digital selves. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what are some of the blockers? I mean, you know, yeah. there's, there's technical blockers, there might be others as well. What are some of the things that are limiting how much we sort of share our, yeah. our, our mobile gaming selves?
0: So if we think about self-expression in a digital world, right? Yes. Um, I'm going to touch specifically on skill-based games, but Please. I, I think people generally will use the device that lets them most accurately express their skill level and what they want to do. Um, so the games that are very successful on mobile are the, are the games where a touchscreen is actually the best way to express yourself and to express your skill. Uh, Clash Royale is a perfect example. Um, doing a card game with a mouse feels janky. Right. And Mm -hmm. actually, like, you're misclicking, but having a cards at your thumbs feels magical. It's the, it's, it's like the ultimate expression of skill is done through a touchscreen device. And I think for people, especially in the West who had a lot of choice growing up on gaming console, PC, mobile, um, and generally had. Um, and, and again, I'm, I'm generalizing here, but if no, you look at great. like the, 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 the trend in the West is, is, is much more console than, than in the East. Absolutely. And in the East, you have much more mobile, mobile right? Yep. Um, is, uh, is if, you know, if you, I think there, uh, there, there's a level of, of, of dispensable income and affordability that, uh, hit the West before it hit the, the East. And so, um, and so in the West, we kind of grew up, Expecting that way of expressing ourselves to always be available to us. Whereas um in the East, like for the most part, people learned to v- be extremely good at the things that had available to them, i.e., touch screens. And so the metas in the two continents or the two parts of the world are just completely different, right? And so I think if you go to uh if you go to Asia, like this this conversation is completely different, right? Like right. mobile games is is a core part. Their
1: streaming numbers on mobile are
0: probably through the roof. Yep. Yep. And then then when it comes to clipping specifically, so why on Metal it's it's a little different, is um, mobile operating systems are quite restrictive in resource allocation. And so Mm -hmm. video capture plus mobile actually is not good for battery life. Um, Right. And... um, so really, we haven't been able to get to like, what is this great user experience that is not annoying that people love to do passively and they don't have to think about it? I don't think we've gotten there yet on mobile on Android, particularly. We're close and, and, and we'll get there. Uh, and, 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 and like it's the end of the tunnel of like this resource becoming available more widely, yep. um, to the operating system is, is increasing. Apple just released a big update that made it a lot easier, for example. So. It's coming, but I think most of, most of the reason why mobile gaming isn't big yet on metal is, uh, is, is technical. Interesting. Um, okay. And then eventually that will fade. Yeah. All right. Well, then,
1: you know, I guess there's then two trends working in, in, in your favor then. Cause obviously there's the, there's the sort of. Easternization of modern mobile gaming, even in the West, the Genshin impacts, the Call of Duties, basically Timmy just sort of teaching the rest of us that there is a whole other world out there for skill based mobile gaming and Western gamers gobbling that up in increasing numbers. And then also, if you say that there are sort of, you know, operating system level evolutions happening as well that open up a little bit more, you know, sort of power in terms of what you can do even on iOS, then, you know, again, those two things combined should should, should lead to a lot more sort of mobile streaming content in the years to come. So that's really cool. Okay, awesome. Well, listen, uh, Pim, I'm checking the time. We're at almost an hour. Uh, this was amazing. Uh, you, you You had some really interesting sort of, you know, societal demographic, like, like, you know insights into the way that people have have the way they think, the way they um, uh, interact, how that's evolved as a result of COVID. That I found insightful and and really amazing. And you paired that with just some deep, deep techy gaming nerdiness that I just loved. Uh, I had a blast in this conversation. So you know, really, thank you very much. Before I close, is there anything? that you thought we were going to get a chance to talk about that we didn't get to cover? Is there any area that you were like just champing at the bit to to, to cover or should we just salute each other and, 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 and leave it at that?
0: Nah, maybe I'll leave it with that. I think um, one of the other things that made it that Metal was possible was uh, that gamers are, largely because of Discord, gamers are now very closely connected. Mm-hmm. And so um, a big thing that was different between when Metal wasn't around and when it was around and the companies that filled before us was that there wasn't really any platform that closely connected gamers. And platforms like Discord, there's there's more. Um, They really opened up consumer and social in games. And I think there's not enough people building for it. I think there is, I think we would see so much more innovation if we had more people building for uh, on these graphs, I, I think we we I actually think there's a lot of opportunity there. So if there's any entrepreneurs listening um building on metal discord ecosystems the the platforms that really thrive on the meta game and connect gamers, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, and um yeah, uh, you know it's it's a great place to like as someone who built apps in the Facebook days where like every day it felt like it became harder, having platforms like discord and and like around just have made it feel like a f- breath of fresh air um so and like microsoft is also very much moving in this direction so these open graphs these open ecosystems that connect people are an amazing opportunity to build companies so go do it wow okay <laughs> yeah well there we there we go microsoft discord yeah. you guys
1: are changing the world keep it up yeah Um, All right, Pim, thank you so much. This has been amazing. Have a wonderful day. All the best to you and your team. All the best for Metal. I'll continue happily using it. You've got a fan in me. And thanks for being on the podcast. Bye. And that's the end of another episode of the Tomorrow with Robio podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ben Mattis. Thanks so much for sharing your morning, evening, afternoon, whatever it is. Sharing your time with me and, and exploring these these themes. Hopefully you enjoyed the interview today with the CEO of Metal, uh, Pim DeWitt, and and understanding where his thoughts are going in terms of online worlds and how the moments that we spend inside of these games are increasingly becoming a critical component of our being. And and the need to share those with our friends is is almost as important as the ability to sort of send an image to a friend. I found him a very insightful guest and it really sort of changed my way of thinking about the importance of sort of social shareability of these gaming experiences that we live every day when when we're a gamer. Uh, So, Pim, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for your insight. And to all the listeners, obviously, as always, if you have any thoughts or questions, uh, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-O-O-K. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for Ben Mattis. It shouldn't be hard to find. Uh, You can send me an email Uh, ben.mattis, that's m-a-t-t-e-s at rodeo.com we'd love to hear your thoughts on the show guests you've really enjoyed future guests you think we should be talking to or even just themes you think we should be exploring and of course as always if you enjoy this uh, podcast please don't hesitate to like and subscribe smash that bell as it were um, because it gives us a lot of really useful feedback about sort of numbers of listeners we have and sort of how engaged you are and and um, makes me feel good. That's a really important part. As always, have a great day. Talk to you soon. Bye.